You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Love God, love people, and the order matters. Love God, love people, and what Jesus is saying is the priority in which you do these matters. Your ability to do the second is incumbent on your ability to receive the first, to love God, to love people, and that we would be those that are loved by God first, receiving his love and reciprocating his love back to him, and that precedes any and all the love that we have for others. Why? Because God is love. He is the source of this kind of love that the Bible is referring to. It's agape love. It's not a human love. It's a divine love. It's a faithful love. It's a committed love. And the source of that kind of love is God alone. So we must be loved by him and love him first before we can love others. Because God is the source of love, here's the point before you can have God's heart for your neighbor you must know his heart for you that's what we're talking about today sharing the love with our neighbor we spent all of our time together last week sitting in and literally that's what I mean we were sitting in the reality of God's love for us as is demonstrated by the son on the cross and poured out into our heart scripture says through the Holy Spirit it was like last week was just an amazing time of worship and what God was saying to us through his word, sensing the power of his love surrounding us. Man, I heard so many testimonies of just what God was doing in our midst last week. And that love is foundational. It's the love that we build on today as we look at sharing that love with our neighbor. It's the only way that we can actually do this. So we're in week two of Share the Love series. Actually, week one was an incredible start. We also were talking about our Share the Love initiative, which started a few weeks ago that appreciate all of those of you who are participating. If you don't know anything about it, you can pick up a card. It's just called our sharing list. And really all it's doing is kind of generating some excitement and giving us some practical ideas of how to share the love of Christ. Actually, just practical ways to do what we're already called to do if we say we're Jesus followers, if we say we're believers in Christ and belong to him. So we are looking at this today in the context of last week, share the love of Christ that we have had poured out upon us by the Son, and now sharing that love that God has given to us through Jesus, given poured out to us through the Holy Spirit, and sharing that love with others. And I believe as we do that, God is doing something miraculous in our midst. Okay, y'all are excited about that. I mean, are y'all that astounded by worship that you can't, y'all, like, y'all, y'all need a little recovery time? I mean, I was the one over there playing the p- piano. 
Listen, that's just in case you're first time. I don't do that. I haven't done that in years. Uh, but we had somebody that was uh, one of our regular uh, worship leaders who's out of town, another who's had carpal tunnel surgery. So we were down to keyboardist and I just told Caleb, I'm like, look, I, I, you can call me out of retirement. I can play today if you need help. And he said, well, I guess that's the only choice we have. Not so many words, but that's pretty much what he said. Like, you know, well, we can't get anybody else in from out of town, so I guess you're here. Yes, I am, all day, every day. But here's what I want you to understand before I get into this morning's message. I believe that when we started this month or this year with a series on miracles, seven weeks where we talked about the miracles of God, one of the themes that kept coming up over and over again is that God is asking us to participate in the miracle that he wants to perform. Always has. He does the supernatural, but we do the natural. We do the go and wash the mud from your eyes or go and pick up your mat. We do something that he tells us to do and then he does what we cannot do. We do something that he tells us to do by taking a little card or taking a sharing list and we go and we do those little things. We put a magnet on our car. We put a sticker on our computer. We invite somebody to a connect group. We invite somebody to the college group. We, in, we invite somebody to church. We do the practical things and then God does the supernatural things. And I believe God is doing that already. And we're going to talk about sharing the love with our neighbor because I've already heard a testimony from a good friend of mine of how God's been doing that even in their own family. Let me just share this real quickly. But I want you to know that our prayer over this Share the Love initiative is we would see an increase in the amount of people that call this place home, that are coming here, invested here, being a part here, that we would see a 20% increase. That was our desire between now and Easter, because Easter we know doesn't count when it comes to attendance. Now and Easter, we would see a 20% increase. We started with a base number of an average attendance this year of 700, because that's easy math. It's actually a little bit more than that, but for me, I'm like, look, 20% of a round number. Let's go with 700. What's 20% of 700? Anybody? Okay, so what's 700 plus 140? So this week, we looked at our numbers as we always do on Tuesday as a staff. And I had asked God, I was like, well, you know, it doesn't have to wait till Palm Sunday to get that 20%. And I'm going to, pr I promise you, that number wasn't 839, wasn't 841. That number of people that were here last week throughout our building, kids and everybody, was 840. On the first Sunday of us starting this initiative, God is doing something and in focus, and he's doing something in our lives and in our families, and I believe in our proximity, and that would include our neighbors. So you know why we have to know God loves us when it comes to loving our neighbor? Because loving our neighbor, I'm not about to tell you something you don't know, loving our neighbor is hard. It's hard. Before we even get into the difficulty, like the, the young man in this scripture, this, law, this lawyer, of like, well, which, who is our neighbor? Before we even get in that, which really wasn't the question, but before we get in that, it's hard to sacrifice your time and, and to give effort to do for others what you would want them to do for you, because that's really what this is all about. It's an interruption, and who has time for interruptions? It's costly, and who's got time for that? And because of how difficult it is, and God knows how difficult it is for us to love our neighbor, he wants us to first know that we are deeply, extravagantly loved by him. That's what we talked about last week. God wants us to know this. He wants us to know that we are loved before he wants us to do something. He wants us to know something. You're loved. Before you go do anything, I want you to know that. 
You're loved. So that what? What we do flows out of who we are, which is loved. The love of God precedes and empowers our work for God. The love of God precedes and empowers our work for God. We see this priority of order, if you will. We see this in the father's interaction with his own son, Jesus, when he said, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased. And then he started his ministry. Even Jesus, he's identifying, listen, before you do one miracle, before you do one thing for anybody else, I want you to know you're my beloved son. Now, Go and do what Father has called you to do. What about Jesus' interaction with Peter? We've mentioned this last week where he says, do you love me, Peter? Three different times. I believe that's indicative of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a holistic love. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Father, you know I love you. Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Now go feed my sheep. What was he doing? He's establishing you're loved before you ever go do anything for me. Now that you know that, Now that you've affirmed that you know that I love you, no matter what you've done in failing me, I love you. Now feed my sheep. And it's the same for us, my friends, that you would know that you know that you know that Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. We're going to share the love of Christ with our neighbor. We first have to possess it ourselves. You can't share something with somebody you don't have. We can't share what we don't possess in our own hearts and lives. And even though it's popular, listen, I know it's popular to be loving. I know it's popular to be uh, benevolent. I know it's popular to be philanthropic. But listen to me, nobody was more benevolent and all-embracing and all-inclusive as Jesus was. There's no greater love than his self-sacrificing love on the cross. And this is the love that has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to be pouring out to others who God intersects with our lives so back to our text our expert in God's law as it says doesn't accept the very obvious answer so he keeps on going verse 29 but he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus well who is my neighbor let's just stop right there because this guy doesn't really want an answer that's not why he's asking the question he's not asking the question because he wants an answer and I know y'all none of y'all know anything about that I've never sat down with anybody here in this church who didn't want the answer that I wanted to give them. They already had their answer. But here's the reality. Because none of us ever get into conversations wanting to be understood rather than trying to understand, do we? None of us ever get into a conversation explaining what we see and what we want to do rather than seeing something that we can't see ourselves. Being a little bit facetious, Because problematically, we don't just do that with each other. We do that with God. We very often misunderstand Christ's words or his word. Not because of ignorance and not because of lack of information, but rather an intense unwillingness to submit to the demands of God. Oh, God, I know what you're asking. I just don't want to do it. We've all been there. Oh, God, I know what the Bible says. Oh, Lord, I know what you're asking me to do right here. I'm just telling you. uh, I don't understand. No, no, you understand. In other words, the natural disposition of the human heart desires to do what we want to do, to save face, to maintain our pride, to keep people liking us and praising us because we care more about what people think than what God says at times. Quite honestly, I put it this way, this is where my struggle is, I care more about what I want than what God wants. 
And when this happens, particularly for people who profess to be Christians and believers, what we will do is we will inevitably twist the words of Jesus to support our own desires. We'll twist scripture to support what we want instead of doing what God is asking or telling or commanding us to do. When Jesus told the lawyer the answer to the question that he gave, when he told him it was right, what happened was the lawyer's duplicity was exposed. It's like, oh, Jesus is like, oh, so you do know the answer to this question. Then why aren't you doing it? That's really what's going on here. He's like, oh, so you do know the answer. And since he knew, this lawyer knew, he wasn't doing what Jesus had just said that he let out the cat out of the bag. Listen, here's what it is. Yes, you do. And since he knew he wasn't doing it, since he knew he wasn't following the law, he decided to justify himself by acting like the reason that he wasn't doing it was his lack of understanding of who his neighbor was. Like there was some kind of ambiguity with who his neighbor was. Well, I don't know who my neighbor is. Simply a way for him to try to save face. The better way to ask the question, this is how he should have asked the question because this is what he was asking is, Jesus, who do I not have to love? Just tell me who I don't have to love. Like, who can I leave out of this love command? Because surely there's some people out here, there's some groups of people in our society, there's some groups of people in our neighborhood that we're really, they kind of get excluded from this commandment, right? So tell me who those people are. Surely the Romans, those cruel oppressors, we don't have to love them, right? Surely it's those gold-digging tax collectors, we don't have to to love them. Surely it's those half-breed Samaritans, we don't have to love them. And you could interject whatever person you think you would put in that line in our context today. Surely I don't have to love that person on that side of town, or that votes that way, or that thinks this way, or that does this thing, or has this skin color. Surely I don't have to love them. And what Jesus is saying is, oh, no, 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 no. You can't just swipe left if you don't like it. When it comes to the agape love, pardon the profane analogy, but you're always going to swipe right. He's always picking. Yep, got to love them. Yep, got to love them. Yep, got to love them. So instead of answering his ridiculous question outright, Jesus tells a parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, one that is a familiar story, maybe too familiar. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Just like this man knew the answer, we know the answer. The answer is obvious. Like this is the most rhetorical of questions almost in the Bible. Which one showed mercy? Uh, duh, Jesus. So the better question is, well, who are you in this story? That's the better question. Who are we? 
Because I think we've been and could be any one of the people in this narrative some point in time in our life. But the question this morning is, who are you right now? The point of Jesus' parable is to show that the lawyer's face-saving, self-justifying, manipulative maneuver there of asking the definition of the neighbor was just avoiding the real issue, and that is, what kind of person are you? What kind of person are you? Because no, here's the deal. If you think about it, that's why this, this question was ridiculous. No one can truly be compassionate and merciful and at the same time stand idly by while the mind contemplates whether a suffering candidate actually is your neighbor. Do you follow what I'm saying? Nobody could actually be compassionate and merciful while looking at somebody in need and wondering if there's any kind of out clause with this person that means I don't have to help. Whenever we start to justify who we can exclude from God's love and care through us, we knowingly stay on the other side of the street, devoid of God's love. I'm glad God did not decide to withhold care and love from me because of what I deserved. I get so sick and tired of our narrative about things in life being about what people deserve. Because we all deserve death, except for the fact that Jesus crossed the widest of roads and came and took our place and took care of us at the expense of his own life. So let's just unpack this parable a little bit more for time's sake to see how we can best share the love of Christ to our neighbors, which is what I want to do. Listen, I'm telling you guys, as I was praying a couple of weeks ago for this Share the Love initiative in this series, I got, I got on fire about car magnets, literally. And it wasn't the magnet itself. It was about what God would do if we would just take the simple, practical step of doing something passive almost that God would then do the miraculous while I'm sitting there with my little in focus sticker on the back of my iPad or whatever and somebody I'm like praying I pray God that this week you would show that person that you're watching and somebody will walk up to them in the Starbucks in their school or wherever they're at their library and say hey what does that mean like I was praying for the miraculous divine appointments for you all if you would just take a step that God would meet you in the middle of that thing and I believe he will I believe there's like almost a, an open heaven for us if we would just take that step. So let's unpack this parable a little bit. What about the first two guys? The religious guys, the good guys. As you're hearing this story back then in the context, this is the one that everybody thought, well, he'll stop. Well, he'll stop. Nope. Their response, this looks a little complicated. This looks a little bit involved, so I'm not going to get involved. Anybody ever heard said that? Or you, maybe you've said that. Look, uh, this is a little involved. It's a little bit too involved, a little bit too complicated. I'm going to just go back out of this. Here's what I want you to see. All three people were given an invitation by God to be involved in the very fact that they saw the need. But only one of them loved enough to cross the street and get involved. Here's the challenge presented very well in this story. The neighbor we're called to love is often not the one we choose, but the one that God chooses. Oh, that hurts so bad. 
See, more specifically, we could say the neighbor is often not one we would have chosen had not God done the choosing for us. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. There we go. We got, we got lots of things going on. The, the law said certain things, and yet this lawyer knew everything that he was supposed to do, and yet he chose not to get involved. See, the Jew and the Samaritan wouldn't have chosen the other as his neighbor. Neither one of them would have chosen the other as the one that they could just love. They just swipe left on that one. Like, no, that's too hard. That's too involved. That's too difficult. Anybody but them. What made them neighbors was one man's unchosen calamity and another man's chosen compassion. They became neighbors only in the response to an unchosen, inconvenient, time-consuming, expensive need of another that the Samaritan chose to take on and get involved at expense to himself. He chose to love this stranger. And isn't that the shocking part, right? That God expects us to love needy strangers, people that don't look like us, might not like us, might not vote like us, might not even want our help, might not even want you to treat them like a neighbor. But our time is limited on this earth. And so we have to be involved as Christians in sharing the love of Christ while we're here, wherever the spirit of God leads and whoever God chooses. The parable goes on to say the Samaritan went over to the wounded man, bandaged him up, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn where he would recover, paid for the man to stay at the inn till he was well, even said he'd come back and pay for anything where there was debt incurred. Listen to me, that is actionable, tangible, practical love. This sharing is more than a platitude. It's more than, oh, I love you. It's more than words. It's costly. It's real. He was involved by God the minute that he saw the need and knew he could meet it. And since God invited him to be involved, the necessary part of this man's healing took loving actions from this man. He became occupied. He became engrossed in helping love his neighbor, who was a stranger. It cost him, which is the definition of love. How much are you willing to sacrifice and how much is it going to cost you? Loving your neighbor and getting involved in people's lives is going to cost us, church. It will cost us. It'll cost us time. It'll cost us money. It'll cost us emotion. It'll cost us effort. And he, in this story, he's sacrificing himself for the sake of the stranger in need who all of a sudden became his neighbor in need. What's costing you time? What's costing you money? What's costing you emotion and effort? What are you sacrificing right now for? Your career? Your family? Your kids? Your future? Your body? You know what I'm talking about. And listen, none of those things are bad. Actually, all of them are for the most part, good. They're blessings from God that he's given to us. But if you're over the top in putting all of those things above God, and if you're over the top with this is what I'm engrossed in, this is what I'm occupied with, this is where all my time and energy and money goes, then all of a sudden, you know what somebody might say about you? Well, they're just a little bit obsessed about that. And that's not in a good way because obsessed is both a bad word and a good word in our vocabulary today. Obsessed. Like that's at the, you know, at the end of something, you're like, I like, oh, I'm obsessed with that. Oh, good, good. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, 
would anybody consider you obsessed? When it comes to loving your neighbor, obsessed. When it comes to Jesus and his church, obsessed. What about sharing the love of Christ with your neighbor, which is whoever is in need that you have the ability to help that God has intersected with your life? Obsessed. This is what God has commanded us to do in his word. And this is what Jesus is commanding us to do. And he didn't make it easy. It's not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, it's hard. It's what I said at the beginning. It is hard work. And guess what? It never gets easier. I wish I could tell you differently. But as soon as you've loved that neighbor that you think that, well, I've, I've, I've really grown. He's going to throw somebody else at you. You ain't grown that much. It's not by accident who the hero in this story is and what the issue that's being overcome here, this ethnic racial tension. It's not an accident. It's on purpose. Jesus used hatred between two ethnicities to make his point about the greatest display of costly sacrificial love. That is some of the point. This is what it looks like when the church loves our neighbor differently than the way the world might say to love your neighbor. Why? Because every single human being on this earth was created in the image of God. It doesn't matter if they agree with us, look like us, act like us. They were made in the image of their maker. It doesn't matter if they have a different region or if they live in a different nation or speak a different language. They were made in the image of our maker. It doesn't matter what crime they may or may not have committed. They were made in the image of our maker. It doesn't matter if they're rich, poor, educated, uneducated, male, female, according to the scripture. Sure, they are a loved son and daughter of God. They're valued and dignified, and we should do the same. Let me also say about your neighbor, because here's some categories that I want to give you before we close today. Because I used to think as a kid that, that loving your neighbor meant only like the people that live right next door to me, my neighbors, my actual neighbors. Okay, nobody else thought that? That's fine. Y'all are all intelligent. But I thought that. And I knew my neighbors. Like, it's crazy how life has changed a little bit in, our, in the makeup of our neighborhoods. And we're such, uh, you know, a transient society now for the most part. But, like, I still remember the names of all of my neighbors growing up in my little neighborhood in National Hills. Uh, Mr. Ott, single older man next to me on my right, had a couple of dogs. I don't remember the dogs' names, but I do remember Mr. Ott. The Robluskis lived over here on our left. The Longshores lived right across the cul-de-sac. Over here were the Lou's. Then right up here were the Wallers. And then when Mr. Ott passed away and another family, the Acevedos, moved in. Actually, it sounded like the United Nations lived in my cul-de-sac. <laughs> the more I thought about it, I was like, man, this is the most diverse neighborhood I had probably in the 70s that existed. But the reality is, is I knew those people. And here's what I want you to know. It's not just your natural neighbor, but it also includes them. Uh-oh, some of y'all are already scared. You don't know who lives next to me. It doesn't matter. See, it's not just them, but it certainly includes them. G.K. Chesterton said, your actual neighbors are a sample of humanity, which is actually given to us. You see, the well-known story that we just read could be romanticized and idealized. The idea of loving your neighbor is beautiful to think about as long as it's somewhere else out there. Love your neighbor. That proverbial neighbor. 
but the concrete reality of loving that all too real, exasperating next door neighbor of yours that doesn't do the things that you like and the way that you like them that you didn't choose that lives next to you might prefer to escape and get out of that. It kind of strips the beauty away from that kind of romanticized love your neighbor thing. So we're tempted to think the beauty of the idealized love is imaginary and the beauty of the real love so what I'm talking about is actually hard work. It's revealed in the self-dying, sacrificial, unchosen call to love the sinner who's actually given to us. That should sound a lot like the gospel. Let's talk about two other neighbors you have. These are the neighbors that we're praying for that you are going to reach. That you, if, if you would listen to the Spirit of God and take the steps, that God's going to do some miraculous things in reaching these neighbors. Here's some other ones that we're praying for. What about your natural family? Oh, Lord, I'm out. <laughs> but listen, your family is a microcosm of the world. Your cousin that you, you try to avoid, your aunt, your uncle, maybe some of your kids or your parents, whatever, the grandparents, I don't care. You're... You didn't choose them. However, I believe we have to ask God for his grace and his love and to be self-sacrificial in the way that he has showed us in the name of Jesus and that we would step out when the Holy Spirit is leading us to do so, to love even our natural family who is a microcosm of all the diversity and the frustrating things and the people in the world and let God do what only God can do. I'm praying some of you to reach your own family that you're desperately crying out for or maybe you stop crying out for because you think it's a lost cause and then lastly what about your church oh yeah let's go there too in our context we've all chosen to be here this morning at some point you've chosen to be here except possibly some of you young people who your mom and dad forced you to be here or some guy on here trying to impress some girl but everybody else, you chose to be here because you want to be here. We choose our church community, hopefully by God's leading, but we choose that. But guess what? We don't really get to choose who else joins. And you know what that means? It means there are going to be people in here that get on your last nerve, like people that frustrate you. There are going to be people that disappoint you. I will disappoint you at times. And it means some fellow members are going to get on your nerves. It means some of your spiritual family are going to see the world differently than you do and approach things differently than you do. Some are going to have different tastes in food. Some are going to think certain ministry things should be elevated above others. And you're going to think this matters more. And they're going to think this matters more. And they're going to think this theology matters more. And you're going to think this theology, why don't we do this more? Why don't we do that more? Why don't we do this less? Why don't you turn the music down? Whatever. Not going to happen. Some of your food tastes are different. Some of your music tastes are different. Some of you like Travis Scott. Some of you like Travis Tritt. I could, there's, there's, like I've done this before. That's about as opposite as I. Some of you like James Brown. Some of you like Jackson Brown. Some of you like Bobby Brown. Some of you like Kane Brown. Let's go on with the Browns. All, let's keep going. They're all really different. Doing life with the people that God has put you in in the family of God doesn't end up looking or feeling like the community of our dreams our idealized, abstract concept of what church is supposed to be like. When we feel the tension, here's some thoughts that kick in. When you, that person that's been getting on your nerves or that thing that pastor's been saying that's been bothering you or whatever else we can get offended about because we got a plethora of things that we get offended by. Well, maybe we need a change. Maybe we need to find a different church where we can really thrive. Maybe. 
But if your restlessness is due to your disillusionment of dealing with difficult or different people that have maybe different ministry model ideas or different thoughts about theological issues that you should be holding loosely but instead you're holding tightly to or maybe perhaps you think that this is a change that you need. You need to change in church community but maybe you need to have a willingness to love your neighbors the way God called you to love your neighbors. The ones that God has given you to love, to be patient and kind and not envy and not boast and not proud and not self-seeking and everything else that 1 Corinthians 13 says. Maybe he's saying, no, I don't want you to leave. I want you to love. Love like those. Love those people in your spiritual family. Love them because I gave them to you. Now, don't be surprised because this isn't abnormal for the church. This is actually how the church started in Acts. It was the most diverse group of people. They didn't even speak the same language and God put them together. This has always been God's call on Christians to be different. Those first generation churches were comprised of Jews and Gentiles. They hated each other more than we can think, whether it's Nazis and Jews in Nazi Germany, whether it's a, a, a black person in the deep south at the turn of the century, whatever it is. Think about it in context. They were put together, rich, poor, men, women, people who preferred Apollos. Somebody wanted this guy to teach. I like Paul. I like this teacher. Some people like this theology. I don't want you to clap. I don't I don't want you to wear your hair this way. I don't want you to dress this way. All of those people put together, very much like people put together in the church today. It was hard doing life together then, and it's hard doing life together now. But that's why the Bible defines love, as I said a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 13 or Romans 12. It tells us this is how you're to love one another. What makes the church different? What's make, what makes people walk in here, maybe even this morning, at any time, they come to in focus and they feel something powerful that God is doing? What makes you leave here and have the ability to see the world around you through the Samaritan's eyes and not just your own monochromatic eyes? What makes it possible? John 13 says, by this, everybody will know that you're my disciples if you love one another that I've given you to love. That's how they're going to know. It's easy to love people that are lovable, that you're just like you. And according to the parable of the Good Samaritan, the glory of this love shines when it's costly and when it's inconvenient. And this is what we're being invited into, church, to be merciful, compassionate, loving people to take and go with actionable, practical things that show that we love people that are suffering, that are within our reach. We are to be a people who are able to have our schedules interrupted. We're to be people who are willing to risk some embarrassment, to use up our oil and wine as this guy in the story, to part with our money, to it cost us for the sake of the stranger, to be that person, to be those people, to be that church in focus, to shares that type of love that Jesus says. And if we would do that, you're going to have life and have it to the full. We can easily look at this parable and view ourselves as the Samaritan because that's our bent. Our pride says, yeah, I'm a Samaritan. That's what I would do. But Jesus is telling the story saying, no, you're the, the Levite. You're, you're the priest. Unless, that's what I said, unless, I don't know who you are today, but I do know this, unless you will count the cost 
and be willing to pay the price to be the kind of neighbor that will cross the road of inconvenience, that will cross the road of embarrassment, that will cross the road of costliness to share the love with those that God brings into our lives. And that includes, yes, our actual neighbors, our family, our church family, and anybody else that God crosses our path, that we see there is a need that we can meet with the grace of God, that we will step across the inconvenience, we'll step across the cost, we'll step across the embarrassment, we'll step across the the time-consuming reality of what this is going to do and getting involved and, and being obsessed or engrossed with this thing. We will step across all of those hurdles to do what God's called us to do. I'm telling you, this is such a practical message, and yet it is, as I just said, it becomes so idealized in our minds as our neighbor that it's this monolithic kind of thing that we can't wrap our minds. That's why I said it's your family, it is your actual neighbors, it is your church family, and it is those that God's going to bring into your life. And I'm telling you, if you will just take a step of faith, God is ready to do something. He's not just doing something here, church. He's doing something all over the world, but he wants to do something here through us. And I'm praying and asking that you would join me in sharing the love for our neighbor that God has put in us because I believe we're going to see some miracles happening in the lives of people, the lost being found and coming into the kingdom of God, being made a part of this family for the sake and the glory of their Savior. Amen. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.